I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been teaching on Christmas. I, um, I've been putting some things together in my head for decades after decade because I've been studying prophecy. I started preaching in 1961. I started studying prophecy about 1964. And I have studied this for years and years. When I was in the hospital in 2001, I had a massive heart attack. I had a triple bypass surgery. And while I was uh, recuperating, they gave me morphine. Morphine will make you crazy. Of course, the amount of pain that you have when they cut your, split your chest open, pull your heart out and bounce it around the operating room a few times <laughs> you think I never had anything hurt like this while I was under that morphine I remember I saw some of the strangest things I had two Welsh Corgi dogs at that time and I was down here in the hospital and I kept thinking I saw uh, Cricket and Cowboy run up under the bed of course they weren't in the hospital and I, for some reason I saw a picture of Adolf Hitler on the wall and I don't know why and I was and I saw while I was, I saw strings hanging from the ceiling. That's what morphine will do to you, and that's what they give you when you have heart surgery. And uh, and I saw this huge picture up on the wall, and it just wound through. And I said, if I can get out from under this morphine, and I can paint that picture, I can help people to see what the Bible's about. And that's actually what I have begun to do. I see the Bible as one huge, big picture. And I put something on the board here. We, we talk about the end of time. And I've talked about everything that Christmas has to do with. And Christmas is Christ Mass. Whether anybody likes it or not, that's what it is. It's the Mass of Christ. has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with the Mass. And I have realized some things. I've been studying. I've taught flattery years ago. I've, I don't know if I'll get into it tonight. But I've learned that Christmas is flattery. And flattery is very evil and very wicked. It makes people feel good. That's what flattery does. They tell you things about yourself that you don't really believe yourself, but you get to believing it because somebody uh, splashes you all over with good feelings and they stroke you and make you feel good. Well, I've got these things up on the board here. That this is kind of a picture I've been seeing. All uh, this has come together. All of this is part of the same picture. Christmas is a part of the end of time. Christmas is Christ Mass. The Mass was the Feast of Saturn. The old name for it was Saturnalia. That's what they called it in Rome. In Israel, they called it Baal and the Grove. It was the same thing. I keep saying this, and I've never had anybody comment on it. Bale in the Grove, that was the same thing as Hercules. 
and Venus. That's what Israel is going after. And the authorities in the McClinic and Strong will tell you that the grove was never, or Venus was never worshipped in human form. She was always worshipped in the form of a cone. And they had a platform on it, according to Jeremiah 10. And they decorated it with silver and gold. And Mr. Layard and Layard's Nineveh said they put a star on top of all these because that was they were worshipped in the stars. Venus is worshipped in the stars. And all these others. Hercules is Orion in the stars. He's the giant in the stars. And we go into all of these these ancient gods and goddesses. Well, all of these things have to do with one picture. It starts back in the Old Testament with Adam. He has a lineage that goes down in Genesis 5. And it goes down. And if you look at Genesis 5, it's Adam's lineage. It goes down to Noah. It it starts with Adam and then en- and then Seth and Enosh and Canaan and Mahalalel and then it gets you down to Jared and the six from Adam and then to Enoch and then to Methuselah, Lamech and Noah. These are all father, son, grandson, great grandson, great great grandson, and so forth. And then down to Noah and his second born son. Shem, and we get into another, the rest of that lineage in Genesis 11. 11. And you get into Shem on our Faxid, and Salah, and Peleg, and Eber, and Peleg, and Reu, and then you get on down to, to, uh, uh, to Nahor, uh, to Nahor, and then on down to uh, Tara, who was the father of Abraham, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were all father, son, and grandson, great grandson. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel. And God has some laws for Israel. He's got 12 sons. 12 sons. You can see those sons as they're being born in Genesis 29 and 30. And 30. And then God says, uh, you have to be obedient to my laws. As long as you're obedient to my laws, I'm going to give this land to Abraham. And it all is conditioned on obedience. So you've got to obey God and what he says. If you don't, God's going to bring judgment on you. So they had, Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. Jo- Jacob's name was changed to Israel in that 32nd chapter of Genesis. And then uh, and then Joseph is sold into Egypt. And then they go under they go under a uh, they are put into bondage into bondage. This is all one family line. Bondage. They're put into bondage for 400 years. And then Moses leads them out of bondage. Moses, out of bondage. And then God tells them when Moses leads them out, when he goes up on the mountain at Mount Sinai, 
in the South Arabian Desert. He says, you tell Israel if they go after any other. And this is the result of what God tells Moses. You tell Israel if they go after any other gods, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. The beast being Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And Babylon will come in and carry you away. And uh, then Persia will overthrow Babylon. Greece will subjugate, will overthrow Persia. And Rome will subjugate the surviving generals of Alexander the Great, which were four particular generals. And they did, all the time they were a nation, they did the things that God said not to do. So God says, while they're a nation, He says, I've told you at the hand of Moses that I will send these four judgments. So for 400 years, or excuse me, 500 years under kings, they do everything that God told them not to do. It's one picture. It's what it is. Every bit of this belongs in the same picture. Every bit of it. It's a picture. And for 500 years, they go after Baal and the grove. When you look up grove, it'll tell you that was Venus under any other name. And Baal was the fire god. And he was the same thing as Hercules. When you look up Hercules in the McClinic and Strong, it will tell you that Hercules is the Tyrian Baal. And the Tyrian Baal, Tyre, when you see Tyrian, Tyre is right above Israel. Israel is here. And it was Ahab that married Jezebel, and her father was Ethbel, and he was the priest of Tyre, where they served Bel in the grove. So Ahab married that system down into Israel, married it down into this northern Israel, and Ahab and Jezebel have a daughter, Athaliah, and and Athaliah, Ahab does something really bad. Well, it wasn't Ahab that did it. It was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a righteous man. He was righteous. He was a godly man, but he was king of southern Judah. And he got to running around with Ahab. So Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, meets Somehow, meets Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, falls in love with him, falls in love with Jehoram, marries into southern Judah, and brings her mother and father's gods down to southern Judah. So God gets his fill, and he, and he has already sinned the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and that belongs in this system. We can put that anywhere, sword, famine, pestilence. And this is Israel's apostasy, apostasy, apostasis. Apostasis, and 
it comes from apo meaning a removal of stasis means to stand upright and from stasis we get the word staros and staros is the word cross there's been a removal of crucifying self in Israel now there wasn't a specifically a daily cross in Israel it wasn't spoken of as a daily cross but that's what it was when he said obey me crucify yourself and don't do what you want to do and they didn't do that so God scatters them he scatters them with the beast he scatters Israel he carries northern Israel away in 722 B.C. And southern Judah carries away. They were carried away by the Assyrians. Assyria is northern Babylon. And then they, the Babylonians carried southern Judah away because they got so corrupted. All those kings of Israel, you can see them on this map here, they were all wicked except for about three. Some of them were semi-wicked. I don't know how you can be semi-wicked. But the righteous kings were Hezekiah, Josiah, and David. And the rest of them were so-so. Asa was semi-righteous. Jehoshaphat was semi-righteous because he ran around with Ahab and brought a lot of sin into southern Judah through his daughter, uh, through Ahab's daughter when he married when his son married Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. And then Asa was, he was good until he got old and got contrary and God killed him. And Uzziah was pretty good guy along the way, but he had some, he went into the temple and thought he could offer sacrifice and God struck him with leprosy. So, uh, and then Jehu was a good guy he went out and killed Jezebel and killed 70 sons of Ahab. He was a good guy, and I thought, oh, but why didn't he put away the golden calf? Another story. And then you had all these wicked kings in there. Most of the kings of Israel were wicked. Zedekiah was a pansy, just a sissy king. Uh, didn't have guts to stand up for what was right. Then, then, so, how did tongues get into that? How did 70 weeks of Daniel? Well, let me erase a bunch of this here. Here's how it happened. Israel is scattered all over the world. Here they were, a nation for all those years. They were scattered. Northern Israel scattered. Southern Judah scattered into Babylon and they were scattered all over the world. They ended up up in Russia, over in Spain. They ended up in Babylon, down in Ethiopia, down in Egypt. They were everywhere, all over the world. But they had been given, they had been given three particular feast days. And they all had to go back to Jerusalem. Now they're scattered all over the world. They got to go back to Jerusalem. God requires that in His Exodus, the twenty-third chapter, and there's several other chapters where He requires them to go back. But since they're scattered, that does not invalidate God's law. So wherever they are, 
they have to make a trip back to Jerusalem. I got a map of that that comes out of the compendia. Comes out of it. It's uh, let me see here. I got it over here somewhere. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I'll find it in a minute. So they're all over the world. And I got this map out of the compendia. Here it is. That's the whole idea. They've been scattered because of their wickedness. So they were scattered everywhere. But they've got these feast days they've got to come back to. Those arrows are pointing. This is Italy over here. If you could see Spain in this picture, they'd be coming back. They called it Espana. They'd be coming back from Spain. This is Carthage. That's Hannibal country. That's where Hannibal came over here and tried to attack Rome and overthrow him. And they, he brought his elephants, and they couldn't get off the, get over the Pyrenees Mountains. And uh, then here's Corinth and Athens, and the arrows are all pointing back. Going back here is Asia Minor. Here is uh, here's Babylon, or what we call Iraq. And they're coming back. The arrows are pointing back. They're coming back from Ethiopia. They were scattered because of their sin. That seems like a pretty simple thing to me to understand. So they're coming back from everywhere. And God has measured out 70 weeks of Daniel, 490 years, for them to repent of what they did all the time they were a nation for 500 years. From... Well, they were a nation from First Samuel, Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles into Second, First and Second Chronicles. All that is called the Book of the Kings, and they lived wrong, went after other gods, so God scattered them. The whole idea of the seventy weeks of Daniel, when that is up, you'll be at the end of time. There'll be no reason for the world to exist any longer. And what this these gods were called, they had another name in the ancient world. The 70 weeks was to cause them to repent. That was a time period. It was 490 years from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem in Daniel 9.25. The commandment was in Nehemiah the second chapter to rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. That's when Jesus comes in Jerusalem four days before the Passover. And he comes in Jerusalem. He tells Israel, I blinded your eyes if thou hast known even thou in this thy day the things that belong to thy peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. So the four... 483 years end end when he comes in Jerusalem. Then there's measured out a time for the spiritual Israel, which is the Gentile church. A lot of people don't like that. I don't understand why. The Bible's full of it in the New Testament. Spiritual Israel. Now, where did... If all these people are coming back from all over the world, 
coming back to Jerusalem, their northern Israel was scattered in 722 B.C. 722 years before Acts 2, when God pours out of His Spirit on all flesh. 722 years. And, and He scatters southern Judah in 586 B.C. So they have been at least scattered for 586 years, 722 northern Israel, and they're living in all these lands. And they're not speaking Hebrew. They're adapting to the to the to the uh, languages of these lands. All of the world was speaking Glossa. Some of them were speaking Latin in Rome. And some of them were speaking Aramaic, like over in Babylon, like in northern Israel. They had a different dialect of Aramaic, but they most of them were speaking in all these lands around Israel. They were speaking Glossa. We get our word glossary from that, foreign language. Foreign language. And they were speaking dialectos. Dialectos. And that is dialects of the common corne. That's the word common. Street language. And they had a different dialect in every city-state. A different dialect, just like Spanish and Italian are both Latin languages, but just because you understood Spanish doesn't mean you can understand Italian. You will recognize a word once in a while. But when they got back, when they came back to these festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, what's amazing Passover was in the first month of their ecclesiastical year. That was in March, April. Passover was in the month Sivan, which was 50 days. Excuse me, Pentecost was in Sivan, 50 days after Passover. And the end gathering was in the seventh month. That was, uh, that was in uh, Tishri. And Tishri is our month, September, October. If you notice, the crops start in March, April, and the crops end in Tishri, September, October, particularly October 31st. And that is the light months of the year, where the light's shining and the crops are growing. And that was God's promise in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 that if you'll be obedient to me I'll fill up your basket and your storehouses and your your you'll have more than you can eat and your fields will be full and you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways those are the promises of God and you have to keep in mind the promises were fulfilled in those three festivals well, when they come back in Acts 2, they're all speaking these different dialects. And they said, how here we have a man and our own dialectos wherein we were born. The only reason they're in all those nations 
because they were scattered into those nations because while they were a nation, they were worshiping everybody, all the other gods except Jehovah God. So all those things go together. Christmas was what Constantine brought in the church in 325 A.D. His main problem, Constantine's problem, was that while he was king, while he was the monarch of the Roman Empire, he had a problem. He had a problem with the Christians that were over here in Galatia, in Antioch, I call him Derby, Lystra, over here in Ephesus, over here in Corinth. The Christians were multiplying. He was trying to kill them off, and he couldn't stop them. It just, nothing could stop the Christians from just becoming a great uh, people. And he was also on the upside of the fence. His, ha- his having a problem with all these pagans, the Huns, the Vandals, the Goths, the Visigoths, the Burgundians, the all of these these pagans were rampaging across Europe. He's afraid he's going to lose his empire at Rome, particularly by the Visigoths, because they were coming down upon him, and they were settling in that area. So he said, I've got to bring their gods into the church and tell the church you can come in and we'll keep the feast of Saturn that we have here in Rome and we'll change the name of it, Saturn. We'll change it to Christmas. And that's breaking it simple. It wasn't until around the 334, 35 that they took on the name Christ Mass. That was when Pope Julius I renamed the Feast of Saturn, called it Christ Mass. Pope Julius I gave Christmas its pagan name. Now, how did all of this become a part of it? Well, they were scattered for 2,600 years till he could fulfill these 70 weeks. 483 years or 69 of the weeks ended when Jesus came into Jerusalem and then you got 2,000 years with a church and it begins in Acts 2 and 33 AD 2,000 years from that would be 2,033 AD I'm not saying that's when Jesus is coming. I'm saying it's really strange that that adds up that way. Because a day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Six is the number of man from one end of the Bible to the other. When you measure out from Adam until Christ, it was approximately 4,000 years. And then another 2,000 years of the church... That's 6,000 or 6 days of man. Now, I don't know if that's when God's coming. It looks like the condition of the world's end. It very well could be somewhere in that neighborhood. I'm not really quite sure. So, we're talking about Christmas and the end of time. Prophecy is about when God quits when God ceases to beat Israel with the scourge during that 70 weeks 
and when he ceases to beat them, Israel or the church will be complete at the end of that beating when they when they fulfill the six points of Daniel nine twenty four to make an end of sins, to finish the transgression, and so forth. So the apostasy is connected to all of this because the end of time will be end of time will be when the apostasy comes. The Bible says I didn't finish the chapter. I started teaching on it last the last time I taught a couple of days ago. But the end of time will come, the Bible says the end is not yet when these things are not happening. You can look at Luke twenty one. 24. The Bible says the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword. I gave you a paper. It showed you all the nations that ruled Israel. And they have never been out from under the rule of the nations. People say, but they were back during the days of Jesus. No, they weren't. Only southern Judah was back. That's why the Pharisees wouldn't have anything to do with northern Israel. They never came back from the captivity. Northern Israel was called the Ten Lost Tribes. Ten Lost Tribes. That's, that was Northern Israel. They never came back. The people that came back was Southern Judah came back from Babylon. They'd been carried away by, by Nebuchadnezzar. And they're the ones that came back with the decrees to go back and rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar when he carried southern Judah away. Then, what we've got. So what you have in Luke 21, 24, the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword. That's talking about this right here when they're carried away. They'll fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations until the times... It says times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Times of the Gentile rule over Israel begin to wind down May 14th, 48. That's when the National Council at Tel Aviv met and declared an Israel nation. The man that caused that more than anybody else was Harry Truman, our president. He was an old Baptist from Independence, Missouri. Evidently, he knew something about the Jews. Harry Truman is a hero in Israel because he pressured the world. He was president in 1948 when that council met at Tel Aviv. He pressured the world and said, I will sanction every port in the world if you do not declare that they're a nation. Now, of course, the Arab nations would not vote for it. They would abstain from any of their votes like that. But the world declared them a nation for the first time in 2,600 years. So that has to do with this whole picture, the 2,600 years. And the prophecy is about the end of time 
you can see the end coming about in that 21st chapter. And particularly, I've called this to people's attention, if you want to turn back to that 21st chapter of Luke, I've tried to call this to everybody's attention. I've never had anybody particularly comment on this. But this is, if there is a verse that shows where the end of time is coming, it's Luke twenty-one twenty-four, And I believe it's just up the road. I hope it's not far away. I'm tired. I'm 82. I'll be 83 next May. I'm wore out. My old body is giving way. I don't know how long I can teach. I'll teach till I fall off this stool up here. Now look here in Luke 21. He's talking about Israel and their collapse during this. When they were carried away, they didn't become it from 586 B.C. until May 14, 1948, and particularly June 5th through June 10th, 1967. That was the Six-Day War. And that's when Israel threw the Jordanians out. They'd been occupying that for some time occupying Jerusalem and Israel throughout the Jordanians and that is very significant to this verse in verse 24 of Luke 21 and speaking of the Jews let's just go back to verse 20 and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies when was that? 586 B.C. When the Babylonian army surrounded them and they put a siege on them. A siege wasn't necessarily the conquering of them. It was simply they would put a wall of soldiers around the city that wouldn't allow any food to go in the city. No water, no supplies. And the people would begin to starve to death. That's what happened to Israel. And it says here in verse 24. Well, let's read 20. And when you saw Jerusalem compassed with armies, they were compassed with armies in 586 B.C. They were encompassed by the Roman army during Jesus' time. And through all these other times in history, I gave you a paper on that. And then he says, then it says, Then know that the desolation there was nigh. Jerusalem will be desolate because they'll be crushed by army after army after army after army. Then let them which are in the Judea, which are the mountains around Jerusalem, they're not like Pike's Peak or anything like that. They're small mountains. Let them flee to the mountains and let them which are in the middle of it, are in the middle of Jerusalem, depart out and let not them that are in the countries go into Jerusalem or anywhere in Israel. It's going to be nothing but bloodshed. For these be the days of God's revenge. 
it doesn't say God's revenge, but it was God's vengeance because they never repented of Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and all those sun and tree gods. That all things which are written may be fulfilled. And woe unto them that are with child, them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in this land and wrath upon this people Israel. God says, I will not pity. I've got a paper up here that I wrote says, I will not pity. God says that over and over again. He said, old men will die. Babies will die. They'll die in their mother's womb. The Assyrians will come in, rip the pregnant women open, pull their babies out and dash their brains out against the streets of Jerusalem. That's what happened. People say, God wouldn't do that, or he certainly did. And if you look at that 13th chapter, the last couple of verses of Hosea, Hosea 13, it says they dashed the brains of the babies out. God says, you had no pity for me, I'll have none for you. And then he says, And they, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem, notice this, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentiles are not treading them down anymore. And Jerusalem only came back as a free city to the Israelites in the Six-Day War of 1967. That's a sign of the end. It's this generation that we live in. And then... Jesus is telling the signs of his coming and what will be the end of the world. Then he says in verse 25, There shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, and the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity is the word apoia. A-P-O-R-I-A. It means in a quandary. A quandary is where it's like being like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid going in that hole in the wall, a place there was no way out. That's why they had to attack everybody that came in. It's like being in a dead-end canyon. No way out. In a quandary, no answer. And what are the things? It reminds me where we were last week or last couple of days ago. i got to go back to that. And he says, when these things, if you look at look down in, in the verses, he says in verse 28, when these things begin, not when they've been going on for 500 years, when they begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. He's talking about when Christ comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. He's talking about when Christ ascends in the air and calls out the saints to be with him. We which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not go before those that are asleep in Christ but we'll be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There in First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. So, we're talking about all these along with the apostasy. 
all that has to come to pass that's what let's go back over there to first thessalonians 2nd thessalonians the second chapter 2nd thessalonians second chapter 2nd thessalonians second chapter and we're talking about the apostasy that's a part of the picture it, God's turning men over to their own imagination. That's the apostasy, apostasy confession, faith healing, tongues, accept Christ, sinner's prayer. All of that is part of the apostasy. The, the Baptist church is just as much a part of the apostasy as the charismatics and Pentecostal. They're preaching doctrines that are not true. Accept Christ as your personal Savior is not true. What do you think I made that up? The Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him. Can it, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. You have to be a spiritual man to accept the things of God. That word receiveth, dekomai, is the same word as I accept, dekomai. The natural man, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. The physical man, the sensual man. That's talking about the, the sensual. Sensual means the man of the senses. The man that can smell, hear, taste, see, touch. That man does not accept spiritual things. The word dekomai comes from dek. Dek is the word ten in the Greek. A decade is ten years. The physical man that's dead in his sin, dekomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been given. That's a doctrine that all Baptist preachers preach. It's not true. They took a vote in the Southern Baptist Convention at one of their meetings to vote as to whether this was true or not. There's no vote to it, you bird brains, you big shots. There's no bird, there's no guesswork to it. The man who's dead in his sin cannot accept anything spiritual. The Bible says so. Don't you guys get it? And they wanted, they came up with a vote. They had to vote whether the sinner's prayer was right or not to receive salvation. It's not. The Bible says it's not. Every Baptist preacher in America, that's part of the apostasy. Every Baptist preacher I ever heard in America, they all say, you got to pray this prayer. If you walk down the aisle, we'll give a long invitation to him and beg you down the aisle. And once you get you down at the front, uh, we'll say, just repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, dear God, save me for Jesus' sake. Save me for Jesus' sake. Amen, amen. You're saved. That's idiocy. There's no repentance in that. There's no daily cross in that, no death to self, no tribulation in it. There has to, there has to be a new birth and you have to be born by the will of God. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that sinner's prayer and accept Christ is a part of the apostasy. 
just like those charismatics and their tongues, their dialectos, their glossa, it's not Pentecostal jibber-jabber. That's apostate. It's not how you feel. You leave definition. Well, I know how I feel. That's all i got to say about that. You people are deceived to no end. I haven't spent two or three weeks on this. The sinner's prayer is not true. The blind man said in John 9.31, We know that God heareth not sinners. God had healed him. The Pharisees asked him, Who healed you? He said, He did. They went to his parents and said, Who healed your son? They said, There's our son. Ask him. He's a grown man. Ask him. He knows. And so they, he, he says, the blind man said, We know that God heareth not sinners. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. The only one that God will hear is the one that's worshiping God and doing his will. When he's dead, he can't call upon the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Every Baptist preacher I've ever heard quotes Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's true, but the next verse tells you you can't call till you believe. How then shall they call on him? Verse 14. How then shall I call on him in whom they've not believed? Well, according to that verse, believe is the method of salvation. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. Philippian jailer asked him the forever perennial question. What must I do to be saved? Acts the 16th chapter. And Paul said, believe. He didn't say, would you pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart? You can't pray a prayer and not mean it with all your heart because prayer is the word prosukomai. Prosukomai. And it means to will forward. It comes from pros. It comes from pros, meaning toward, and UK, meaning to will or desire. It means to will or desire oneself towards the will of another. Prayer means, prayer, prayer is expressed in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. That's the only thing prayer is. It's not, God, give me a car, give me a house, let me make $50 an hour. That's wishing by any other term. It's just crazy. That's a part of the apostasy. At the end of time. All this is a part of the same picture. The reason Israel is scattered. The 70 weeks. The tongues at Pentecost. They're part of the picture. None of it's separated. And he's, he's, Paul told the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe is the method of salvation. Believe is the verb. Faith is the noun. Faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. Believe is P-I-S-T-E-U-O. P-I-S-T is the stem of the word. This is the noun. This is the verb. This is believe. This is faith. I couldn't understand why we're saved by grace through faith and why we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're the same thing. One is the action. One is the thing. That's apostasy. 
It's believing, but you can't believe, but you have to, but you can't, but you have to, but you can't, but you have to, but you can't. Because there's none that seeketh after God. And that takes us back to predestination. We need to put that in this line. Predestination. Because you have to be predestined to conform to Christ's likeness. Without predestination, there is no salvation. Christ has to come and put faith in your heart because you don't have any. There's none good. There's none righteous. Not one. There's none understanding. So predestination belongs in the line of all these things. They're all part of the same picture. Let's go back over here to 1 Thessalonians. I started on this last week. This tells you two things that have to happen before Christ can come back. I keep telling you, everything that Israel went through this 500 years going after these other gods from Samuel to Chronicles, actually from from Judges through Chronicles because they were still going after Bell in the Grove over in the Judges. That was before the kings. And when they were going after these other gods, the Bible says in Revelation 17 and 5, that Babylon mothered all harlotry. Mothered. When you look up harlotry, it's the word porne or pornea. Pornea means idolatry. Well, this was this idolatry Israel was going after all the time they were a nation. Well, you bet your life it was. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. Idolatry is a form of ido and latruo. It means to serve, latruo, what you see, what you put in your eyes and ears. So if Babylon mothered it all, then everything that Babylon, all of their Greek and Roman gods, is the same thing. They all have the same issue. They come from the same source. And that was Babylon and Revelation 11 and 4. Genesis. Excuse me, what am I saying? Thank you for correcting me, Mike. <laughs> Genesis 11 and 4. Genesis 11 and 4, when they said, let us make us a name. That's what everything let us make us a shem an authority and it all matched up it was parallel they had a virgin mother a virgin son they had a trinity they had that they had a parallel doctrine to truth they had that in Israel they had the same thing in Babylon so if Babylon mothered it all everything that Babylon was about all that Greek and Roman God worship is the same thing. In fact, when you look up Baal, it'll tell you it was Hercules. That is the same thing that was going on in Rome. Hercules and Venus. Venus was the grove. So if Babylon and Israel were after the same thing, then it's the same gods. Now, let's go back to 
Second Thessalonians. I need to finish this up. I hope you can see it's you can't leave one of these subjects alone and approach it from a different angle. It's all from the same angle. It's all apostasy. It's all heathenism. I mean, I don't hear anybody telling any truth to speak of. I mean, so many of these preachers out there, they're talking about uh, tongues and faith healing. There's no such thing as faith healing. That's a part of the apostasy. Every time the Bible says thy faith has made thee whole, the word whole, every time it says that, is the word sozo. It's the word saved. You got about five Greek words for the word whole in the Greek, or when you're made well from sickness. And the, the only one that's whole, that word sozo, is saved. Faith saves, it doesn't heal. What gets me, all these faith healers are dying of diseases. Oral Roberts died. He's the biggest faith healer in the last hundred years, except he wasn't a faith healer. He was a fraud. He was a charlatan. Oral Roberts died of pneumonia. If they believed that, why didn't they call Benny Hinn over to come healing of his pneumonia? Kenneth Hagin Kenneth Hagin died of a heart attack. Paul Crouch, where did I get all this information? Off the internet. You can go in there and say, how did Paul Crouch die? Paul Crouch had wrestled with congestive heart failure for 10 years before his death. Why didn't he somewhere along the way call Benny Hand or that bird brain from down there in New Orleans? <laughs> he is a bird brain. Makes a joke out of everything. Jesse the plant. Why, why didn't they call him in and pray over him? Charles Capps, idiot at large. He used to say he was Kenneth Copeland's special guest, and he'd say, uh, "All you, if you keep saying I could just die as an expression, you'll eventually die from saying that." That was. That was a negative confession. Charles Capps was a moron. I don't see how those guys went to heaven. That's apostasy. And then uh, Kenneth Copeland, the idiot at large, that cursed the coronavirus and was blowing it away. God curse you. He was cursing the judgment of God. Kenneth Copeland was a moron. Proof of that is he's stolen all that money from the poor. He's got an 18,000 square foot house outside of Dallas. Got thousands of acres, thousands of cattle, and he stole it all from the poor. Telling them, you'll get rich if you send me your money. He's got a hangar beside his house. He's got a $30 million dollar jet in the hangar, plus about eight other planes from World War One biplanes and all in in pristine com- condition. Jesse Duplantis just built a 35,000 square foot house. You know what 35,000 square foot is? That's the size of a shopping center. The guy is an idiot. 
Jesse the plant, I call him the plant because that's his IQ. Jesse the Prentice got this joking about the Bible for Bob Harrington, who was from New Orleans. And Bob Harrington called, him the, called himself the chaplain of Bourbon Street. I met Bob Harrington. I knew what he was like. Everything was a con with him. It was a joke. And Bob Harrington got that shtick of joking about the Bible. He got that from Brother Dave Gardner. Brother Dave Gardner was a nightclub comedian back in the 50s and 60s. Brother Dave Gardner would joke about God and truth and and talk like some Baptist preacher out in the country, said a lot of crazy things. And he, that's where Jesse Duplantis got all that. He got it from Harrington, who got it from got it from Brother Dave Gardner. And that's what he called himself in the clubs, Brother Dave Gardner. And he's dead. I believe Bob Harrington's dead too. They are that's a part of the apostasy. God didn't call us to joke about the Bible. I don't like that at all. Now, back over here. To, do I have any time, Mike? 36. Hey, I do have some. Now, we're talking about the second chapter of Second Thessalonians. I started on it here a few days ago. And he's talking about verse 7 and 8. In order to get into chapter 2, you've got to look at 7 and 8 of the first chapter. And to you who are troubled, troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's talking about when Christ is coming back. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't obey the tribulations. They hate suffering for Christ. So when you get to chapter 2, when the Bible says, and we now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I drew a red circle around coming, and I pointed that red line back to chapter verse 7 and 8 of chapter 1 because that's what it's talking about by this coming of Christ in flaming fire now we beseech you brethren by the coming parousia coming is the word p-a-r-o-u-s-i-a it means physical arrival And he's saying to you, two things have to happen. Let me erase some of this so I can put some other things on the board. We can go on and on about the apostasy. Y'all hold on a second. Stick with me. Two things have to happen before Christ comes back. And I want to look at them right here. One of them, the first thing that has to happen, has already happened. And it was even happening at the time that Paul wrote this epistle. It was already happening. I 
call this Christmas and the end of time. All those things have to go with it. Now, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. Don't be worried that the day of Christ is here at hand. He said it's not now. Because two things have to happen. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, that day is referring back to verse 7 and 8 of the first chapter and verse 1 of this chapter, the coming of the Lord. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except, number one, there come a falling away first. First of all, number one, falling away. That word falling away is one word in the Greek, apostasis. I've already given that to you. It means apostasy. You've heard that word probably in your life. It is a construction of apo and stasis. Apo means a removal. Removal. And stasis means to stand upright. In the first century, if you were standing upright, you were said to be bearing your cross, your staros, which is a form of stasis, S-T-A-U-R-O-S. It's in the morphemes, the word shapes. Morphine means shape. The staros is a form of stasis. And you get the word starao, S-T-A-U-R-O-O, which is the word crucify. There has been a removal of the daily cross in American pulpits. Nobody wants to talk about that. They don't want to talk about tribulation, which is the gospel. They don't want to talk about fiery trials or Christ coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Let's keep reading. Number one, apostasy has to come. But he says later in this chapter, the apostasy is already here. Who Then I said this the other day. I'm going to go ahead and read it again. Except the following way first. Number two, that man of sin must be revealed as the son of perdition. Number two, man of sin must be revealed, apo, K-A-L-U-P-T-O. We get the word apocalypsis from that, A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S. Apocalypsis is the word revelation. We call it the apocalypse. The apocalypse. Apocalypto is the word revealed. Apo, removal, we said that while ago, of the calupto, K-A-L-U-P-T-O. So 
the man of sin. Some people want to call him the Antichrist. I said last week, Antichrist is only mentioned in First and Second John. Nowhere else. So he's called the man of sin. He's going to have to be revealed. That does not mean... It means the cover has to be removed so the world will know who he is. Who he is. That word revealed doesn't mean, well, there's going to be a tribulation period and he's going to come on the scene and newspapers are going to say, man of sin comes on the, man of sin comes on the scene. I didn't, that's not, re- <laughs> that's ridiculous. He's going to look good. He's going to be charming as a snake. He's going to be enchanting, just like the serpent in the garden. The word serpent in the garden, nakash, means to enchant. Or it means, like one writer said, to kill with the eye. The, the slinky woman walks in the room and she kills all the men with her eye with their eye they look at her and go ah and that's enchanting just like the dragon in revelation dracon means to fascinate it doesn't mean a fire breathing dragon without definition we can't know what these things mean now let's look at it one more time verse 4 and this man of sin, he opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's four words here you need to understand. Now, Jack Van Apey and Cal Lindsay, when they read this, they say, this is in the future when they've got to build a temple in Jerusalem and he's got to sit in the temple of God then. No, there's only one problem with that. All of these verbs, opposeth, is a present tense participle. A participle is a verbal adjective. This is the opposing man of sin that's already in the temple of God. At the point he's writing this. Exalteth is another present tense participle. He's already exalting himself in the temple of God. Which which temple ye are? The church has already fallen away at this point. And that is worshipped, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth. Sitteth is an infinitive. It's a verbal adjective. Being verbal, it has tense. It's active, present tense. He's already sitting in the temple of God at this point. Showing himself that he is God is his present tense. Showing is a present tense participle. So these are all present tense. It means he's already in the temple of God. What is the temple of God at this point? Us. No, you're not that your body is the temple. It's like Enoch Pond says. By the end of the second century, when churches begin to turn their their authority over to Synods and councils, that's what we call conventions and associations. He said that's when they begin to get apostate. Paul is saying they're already apostate here. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, 
I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth. What withholdeth? What withholdeth what? What is it that's withholding Christ's coming, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel? What is withholding his coming in verse 1, his physical arrival? He says, now you know what's stopping him from coming back. Withhold us. Withhold us is the word kateko. K-A-T-E-C-H-O. Kata is a prefix on words that means down or with intensity, intense. Echo means to hold. We think of an echo being holding a sound. Hello, 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 hello. Echo is a Greek word, means to hold. Now you know what's holding the church down. The man of sin has to be revealed. And then he says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Iniquity, anomia, Mystery, musturion, M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N, means the unrevealed facts. Anomia comes from nomos, which is the word law. The alpha prudium negates that word, means no law. So the mystery already works because the church is already getting apostate here. Only he who now letteth. I don't know why they translated letteth, because letteth is the exact same word as withholdeth in the previous verse. Now you know what holds down the church. Now Only he who now holds down will continue to hold down until he, the man of sin, is taken away. But that won't be till the very end. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Apocalypto. He's not going to be introduced at the beginning of a pre-trib rapture because there is no pre-trib rapture will be changed at the last trump. The seven trumps that sound in Revelation 8, 9, and 10 when the seventh one sounds, the mystery of God is finished. That's the church. Mystery of God, when you read Ephesians, the third chapter, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the mystery of God is the church. Finished, teleotes, means complete. The last one comes in when the mystery is finished. He who now holds down will hold down. I don't know why they even put hold down. The New Testament was translated by translators. Half of them were Roman Catholics. Some Roman Catholic must have got his word in here. The head translator of the King James Bible was a Roman Catholic priest named Lancelot Andrews. You can get that out of God's Secretaries if you want to. Get the book God's Secretaries. Tell you all about it. And until he be taken out of the way, 
then shall that wicked one be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy the man of sin with the brightness of his coming. Brightness is the word epiphanos. E-P-I-P-H-A-I-N-O-S. Epi means to superimpose the shining. Phanos, P-H-A-I-N-O-S, means the shining. That's when Christ comes back. You'll find that in Matthew 24. You'll find that in in the fourth chapter of First Thessalonians when we see we which revive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go up to meet him before the, those that sleep in Christ but we caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord I look forward to that day I look forward to getting out of here my body is tired and wore out so then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and brightness of his coming. Now there's, a, do I have any time, Mike? 20. All right, let's go back over here to where I was last week. Let's look at this man of sin under another name. Back over here to Daniel. I just got a little bit into this. Daniel the eighth chapter. I gotta finish this up. So we see in Daniel the eighth chapter we see a ram with two horns. We've already said we know who the two horns is. The ram with two horns is Media and Persia. I didn't make that up. This text tells us it is. Media and Persia. Media Persia was a dual empire. It was a dual empire. And it says, the Bible says that the horn was longer than the other one. It was stronger. Persia was stronger than Media. The Medes, the Medes, sometimes they'd have a Mede king and then sometimes they'd have a Persian king. And media, they say, was upper upper Babylon or upper Iran. They believe the Medes were that they came over here from Europe and settled up here in northern what we call Pakistan, uh, Iran and, and uh, northern uh, Iraq up here. Believe it's believed that the Medes were the Kurds. I've talked to people from Kurdistan, and they've got some interesting things to say. Now, so we see, we know what the two-horned goat is, because the Bible tells us it's made in Persia, and that the Bible says that over there in the twenty-first verse of this chapter, the rough goat is the king of Greece, which, excuse me, in verse 20, the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. And then the rough goat is the king of Greece. The rough goat comes along after that 
And that's grace that comes along. Then it says, then it says that the rough goat is the king of Greece. Now remember I've told you there were four empires that carried Israel away into captivity. Four empires. And each one of them fell to the other. Babylon, Persia, which was a Persian-made empire. Uh, Greece. And we said Greece had four. Greece was led by Alexander the Great. Alex the Great. And he died about a 323 B.C. He started. He ruled for about 12 years, so I'd take you back to 336, 35, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he re- and he died in 323. And he had four generals that took his place: Lysacomus, Cassander, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. These were the four generals. That's what it says, and you can see that when you've got when you've got the two-horned goat, and then the one-horned goat, which would be which would be uh, Greece, and there was a leader. And when you look over here in in verse eight of the same chapter, therefore the he-goat waxed great, and when he was strong. The great horn was broken. That's talking about the death of Alexander the Great, which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land, which is Israel. That's so. So he waxed great toward the south and toward the east. Toward the south, that was Alex the Great. Toward the south into Egypt and toward the east over here. He waxed great in all this area. And he was more or less ruler of the world. And he had these four generals, and it gives us these four generals in this context here when it says, uh, well, let me see here. It talks about four taking over for Alexander the Great. The first thing it does in chapter 7, up here in verse 6, after this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, that's that's Greece, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast had four heads, that's the four generals, and dominion was given to it. Then after that, you got the beast with iron teeth, and that's Rome. Well, back over here, you've got the same thing here. Well, let's read here in verse... uh, This is where Alexander the Great falls. Both these chapters, 7 and 8, is telling you how Alex the Great rose up, and then he fell. How How the Persians rose up, they fell under Alexander the Great's uh, siege, and then Alex the Great was killed and died. Let's read verse seven. And I saw verse seven of chapter chapter eight. 
I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler. Choler means he was angry, and that has a historical context because they had been attacked before by the Persian Empire and break the two horns. That's Media and Persia. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him but cast him down. The two-horned ram couldn't stand before Alex the Great and stamped him down to the ground and stamped upon him and there was none that could deliver the ram, the two-horned ram, Greece, out of Alexander the Great's hands. Therefore, the he-goat waxed very great. That's Alex the Great. And when he was strong, the great horn, Alex, was broken, and for it came up four notable ones. That's these four generals that's referred to back in in chapter 7. And out of one of them came forth a little horn. That's Antiochus Epiphanes that comes out of Seleucus Antiochus. Well, no, it's Antiochus because what the what the following verses tell us. We know it's Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a picture of the man of sin in the Old Testament. And it'll say in the Gospels, uh, you'll, when you see the abomination of desolation, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, he's talking about the man of sin at the end of time. He's going to be enchanting. He's going to be flattering, just like Antiochus was when he gained the Syrian Empire when he gained the throne there. And then let's go and read more of this. Yea, he magnified, he waxed great, even to the hosts of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. He ran over the other kings in the various countries that he wanted, and he wanted all of them. He ran over the king of Egypt. He ran over the Syrian kings. And he did it with with flattery. He magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him, the daily sacrifice was taken away. That's Antiochus Epiphanes out of Daniel 11. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. That's the sacrifice and the oblation ceasing in the Old Testament when he came in to Jerusalem. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it was cast down, and it cast down the truth to the ground and practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation that Antiochus has done and to give both to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot and he said unto me unto 2,300 days then shall the, the sanctuary be cleansed that was Hanukkah when the sanctuary was cleansed by Judas Maccabeus and it came to pass when I, when I even I Daniel had seen the vision, and sought for the meaning, 
that behold there stood before me as the appearance of a man and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli which called and said Gabriel make this man to understand the vision so he's going to come and talk to Daniel in Daniel 9 the next chapter and he's going to tell him the vision that he's seeing is the 70 weeks of Daniel so he came near where I stood and when he came I was afraid and fell upon my face and he said unto me understand O son of man this is Gabriel talking to Daniel Gabriel had a habit of going to Daniel and talking to him for at the time of the end shall be the vision so he's saying here's the vision now as he was speaking with me I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground but he touched me and set me upright I think that's the way I'd feel if Gabriel come talk to me scare the life out of me and he said behold I will make thee know what shall be in the last end that's what he just said down here in verse 17 for at the time of the end shall be the vision so he's telling us what it's going to be like at the end of time at the end of the indignation the indignation is God destroying Israel for 2600 years and at the time appointed the end shall be the ram which thou sawest having two arms are the kings of Midian and Persia that's easy once you read it and the rough goat is the king of Greece and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king that is Alex the great now that being broken wherefore four stood for it Lysacomus, Cassander, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. That says that three times in these two chapters. For it, four kingdoms shall stand out of the nation. You'll have Egypt, you'll have Cassander ruling much of western Turkey or Asia Minor, and Lysacomus being given some of the other parts. And than Seleucus having Syria and so forth. And in the latter time of their kingdom, in the latter time of whose kingdom? All these kingdoms that he's been mentioning, Persia, Greece, Rome, in the latter time will be the end of time. Of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, when God says, I've had enough a king of fierce countenance. There's another title for the man of sin. King of fierce countenance. He's gonna. They're gonna have a tremendous countenance upon him. He's going to have a strong, harsh, vehement face. He's going to be ruler of, I believe, of the new world order. When the transgressors are come to full, when God has said, I've had enough, and this king of fierce countenance will understand 
He'll claim to understand dark sentences. The word dark sentences is the word kidah. C-H-I-Y-C-H-I-Y-D-A-H. That means puzzling. Questions. What's going to be the puzzling questions at the end of time? Sword. War. Famine. Food shortage. Shortage. Money shortage. It's always connected with pestilence. Which would be which would be the coronavirus, smallpox, bubonic plague, AIDS, and Ebola, and the rest of all of these, and all the flu virus of 1918, 1918. And there won't be any answer. The Bible says, they'll be distressed as nations with perplexity, Aporia. No answer. But this man is going to claim to have the answer to all the puzzling questions. It'll be a conundrum, which is a riddle. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy wonderfully. It'll look fantastic when he gets control of the world and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people which is the believers there will be a war against the church and against Israel I have said that so many times and through his policy CKL CKEL going to have to be a very intelligent man he's going to have to be smarter than Joe Biden ever thought of being through his intelligence knowledge sense of understanding he shall cause craft to prosper craft is the word mirma. Deceiving. He'll deceive the world and he'll even deceive the believer if it were possible, but it won't be possible. We'll know when he comes on the scene as believers. And he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He'll be claiming for peace when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travails upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. See, he's not going to have the last word. Jesus is. When Jesus comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance, he shall also stand up against the prince of princes. That's Jesus. He'll stand up against Jesus. How will he do that? How will he make war with Christ? He will attack his wife, the church. 
I believe the time may come, very well will come, when we will have to lay our lives down for our beliefs. It's getting pretty miserable to me just looking out the door, looking out the window, seeing all the people that don't believe God. The preachers don't believe God. And he shall be broken without hand. That means without any strength. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick. Certain days afterward I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. That's because they didn't have ears to hear and eyes to see. The vision starts there in verse 18, and he's showing you what's going to happen at the end. It's going to wind down. Is there any more time, Mike? I'm out of time. Well, let's pray. I hope you get a hold of this. I believe it's all... I believe Christmas is a part of the end of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, help us. Fight our battles. Give us courage, Lord. I'm just sometimes wore out. I got the courage to stand, but sometimes I don't have the physical strength. I pray you'll give me strength, strengthen the sheep here, cause them to be strong in the faith. Because this thing is winding down, Lord, it has to be. We'll praise you for everything. We praise you for your word, most of all. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We got through those two two chapters. When it says there'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, what does that mean? Signs in the sun? Well, it'll be when the sun, when the Bible says the moon will return to darkness, when you look at Micah, you look at Micah, this kind of helps answer Micah, the third chapter. Third chapter says, it's preaching against Israel, and it says, uh, no, that's the sixth chapter. I won't find it. I wonder why I couldn't find it. It's the third chapter. Verse 5 Thus saith the Lord God concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and that cry peace, and he that putteth not into their mouths. God didn't put these words in their mouth. They even prepare war against God. It says Ham, but it means God. Therefore, night shall be unto you that you shall not have a vision any more, and it shall be darkened to you, and you shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over the prophets. It's talking about truth. So when the sun is turned to darkness, 
Oh, and that will be the sign of the sun turned to darkness and moon to blood. Turning to blood means to die. If the moon turns to blood, it means there's no sun shining. There's got to be some haze or some smoke. And it may be talking about here on the earth. A haze is there so people cannot see the truth. Right. Okay. So, I so it can be the false doctrine. It's, metaphorical. it's very metaphorical. 